False Bottom Girls guides listeners through the wonderful, yet sometimes confusing, world of beer. Hi, my name is Rachel Hudson, and I'm the co-owner and head brewer of Pilot Brewing Company in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I'm also an advanced Cicerone. Hi, I'm Jen Blair. I'm the Beer Quality and Education Manager for Orpheus Brewing in Atlanta, Georgia, and I am also an advanced Cicerone, and welcome to our podcast. We know everything. (laughs) It's a good way to start. But (laughs) yeah. Uh, We don't know everything, but today we are going to learn about Czech beer, specifically Czech lagers. Oh, and I didn't even realize it, but I'm wearing my my (laughs) lager shirt. Lager, 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 lager. (laughs) Um, Fun fact about me, I have three different shirts that say lager on them, and they all have pizza sauce stains on them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, lagers do go well with pizza. Yeah, listen, lagers go well. Pizza actually goes well with everything. Right. And Experience. bloggers go well with life. So that's true. Um, yeah, it's a win-win. But yeah, just a little fact to know about me. Three different blogger shirts. They all have pizza sauce stains on them. So um, yeah, so today we are going to talk about Czech beers, specifically Czech lagers, and the kind of the impetus for this episode is um, when I when we were at CBC this past September, I attended a a presentation given by the Ministry of Agriculture of the Czech Republic, and it was all about Czech loggers. And like I already love Czech loggers. If you tell me that there's a tamave somewhere, like there will be a gin-shaped hole in the wall for me trying to get <laughs> to it. Um, so it was super cool to go see this presentation and hear a little bit more about, uh, you know, Czech brewing traditions and Czech beer. And actually the presenter was in the Czech Republic giving the presentation um, via Zoom, but they did have like one of the ministry people there and they brought like Czech, they or they brought uh, Saz hops, they brought um, different beers that like different Czech beers that had been made in the United States. So like breweries like Live Oak that specialize in lagers and they had some of their beers and it was just a really cool, like, again, I was, I'm already pretty always hyped about Czech lager, but like leaving that and Rachel, I think you can attest because I know you were in the hallway when I left, like I was like, go in there and rub these Czech sauce hops (laughs) and do this. And it's so cool. So yeah, that was really cool of them to do. I, I did not attend that conference. I feel like I feel like a lot of the conferences like schedule, like a lot of the schedule was made early on when I picked my classes and then a lot of more classes were added on, which, you know, makes sense. But I feel like Czech brewers were like, they're doing what? We have to go over there and make sure they're doing it right. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yes, and that uh, you're correct. The seminars. So for those of you who aren't familiar, and this won't be about CBC, but for those of you who aren't familiar, um, this year for CBC, one of the ways that they addressed the pandemic was having everyone select their seminars ahead of time. And then when you would go into the seminar, you had like a little barcode that they would scan and it would tell the person at the door whether you had registered or not. Um, And if you didn't register, you kind of stood over to the side. And and if there was enough room, then they would let you come in. Um, But the check logger one is definitely one that was added later that I just happened to see and was like, 
where did this come from? Because I don't think that I would have missed this yeah, like yeah, the first same. time around. And it was, it was part of one of these sponsored presentations, Yeah, which usually like, especially this one, it's an ambassador from the Czech Republic. Like it's not, it's not a, like a, a sales pitch. Yeah. That I think a lot Ugh. of people think like sponsored ones can be, and they can be. Yeah. Um, but this one was, I guess it was a sales pitch for come to the Czech Republic yeah. and also drink Czech oh. beer, which like done and done. You know, one thing I really like about Czech beer or that's interesting is I hate to say that it's simple because it's definitely not simple, but it's, they like, they have their dark, their amber, their pale lagers, and they, they associate them with different degrees of Play-Doh and, you know, whether it's 10, 11, 12, whatever Play-Doh, and that's like their alcohol level. And it's like very much characterized on the color and on alcohol level. And it's like, that's Czech beer. Well, maybe not today in 2021 as there are a ton of microbreweries popping up just like all over Europe but you know when we're we're talking about Czech beer today we're going to mainly be talking about referring to the styles in the BJC guideline BJCP guidelines because that's what we do right yeah I would say yes and no Um, and one of the things one of the reasons why I say that is because the distinction the BJCP makes between Czech pale and Czech premium pale yes. is very, it's very arbitrary. And it's one, one thing that I want to note before we move on of kind of talking about CBC. The reason why we bring up CBC is I was able to go on a media pass uh, with the podcast. So part of that, and this is also information, like if you've got a podcast or a website or a blog or whatever, um, I highly recommend that you apply for a media pass. They only have a few each year, but the kind of the entire point is that you take the information that you learn and, you know, decimate it out. I don't think, no, it's not decimate, but um, send it out into the world. And yeah. uh, so that's, you know, this is one of the, I think this is the presentation that I was the most excited about. And also when I came back was like, I'm opening a Czech brewery. Uh, because we also went to <laughs> yeah. Cohesion while we were out there that is that brews Czech yeah. style lagers and has Czech style service. Yeah. Um, so I came back like super hype about, about Czech that's, beers. That's one of the really cool things about Denver. It's not like that, like this in Charlotte, like a lot breweries will like open up as their niche, you know, mm-hmm. like Cohesion. Like I'm doing, I'm just going to do Czech beer and that's all I'm going to do. And like, that's so cool. Right. I wish I could do that. I don't right. know if I could make that work here. I don't know, but yes, I agree with you. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't know if someplace like Charlotte is ready for it. Although I will give a shout out to um, halfway crooks here in Atlanta. It's my favorite brewery in Atlanta. Um, this is their lager shirt that I'm wearing. They have, they do a range of style, but they are very well known for their lagers. Um, so I think it's, it can be possible. But I don't know, maybe if we yeah. had somebody from Halfway Crooks, they would be like, no, like everybody just wants IPA. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I, I don't know, but <laughs> I, I do agree with you. I think that's a really good point about someplace like Denver is when the market gets saturated enough, then people can say like, cohesion that's probably a good point, is you know, check loggers and they have like six check loggers yeah. on tap. So they don't have like, you know, 30 beers. Yeah. And then, of course, you've got like Hogshead that does only Cascale and or not yes. only Cascale, but specializes in Cascale. Um, so, yes, yes but, that's super cool. Yeah, that's what happens when you live in a beer city. 
Uh, but yeah, so I'll have Rachel kick us off with some history in a moment, but just a couple of really quick facts when we're talking about the Czech Republic and beer's role in it is it's very similar to Belgium, where like beer is the culture there. It is a very big beer culture. And 90% of the production of beer in the Czech Republic is actually Czech Pilsner. And the Czech Republic also has the highest consumption of beer in the world per capita. Uh, so that is 144 liters per person, which works out to approximately 405 12 ounce beers per person, which like over a year, that doesn't really sound like a lot to me, but maybe I just drink too much. <laughs> well, we, I we could definitely like, say it's definitely a beer a day, so that's good. Right, but yeah, that's what I thought. I was like, like, okay, this is like a beer a day plus for like, like 40, for 40 days you have two beers a day, and I'm just like, maybe I, I should move to the Czech Republic. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's just an old stat. You know, who knows how old that stat is? <laughs> right. Fair, fair enough. So, yeah, Rachel, um, start us off with uh, some some of the history and then I'm. All right. So as I was diving into history, one of the, one of the really cool things I saw is or learned is like Czech brewers were definitely the keepers of tradition in their brewing ways, maybe not by choice, as we'll get into. But because of their circumstance, um, there's still a lot of traditional brewing methods going on today that was happening when Czech beer was first being brewed. So it wasn't until recently, maybe a couple years ago, um, that we learned of some early, more early on evidence of brewer, of a brewery in Czech um, than we thought. So um, around 993, the earliest evidence that we now just discovered a few years ago was of a brewery in Czech called Brevnov Monastery in Prague. So if you remember, just like all the other European countries, this beer, beer brewing is, you know, probably started at home and then commercially went to a monastery. Uh, monastery needed to make things to keep themselves in business, like cheese and local goods. Beer was one of those things that they made from themselves and also sold. So this is very common. Um, but up until then, up until that date was confirmed, the earliest reference to brewing in Czech that we have believed up until a couple of years ago was around 1088. Um, and it's funny because the use of hops is even noted around brewing in 1088, which is still a good amount of time before hops are being used in other parts of the brewing world. Right, like um, 500 years or something, right? Yeah, like, so like, for example, hops for brewing would not even be grown in Britain until 1524. You know, so this is, you know, and these are Czech grown hops, obviously, and they were kind of prized hops. They, they, you know- uh, They still are. Yeah, they still are, true. Oh man, Czech sauce hops, mwah. Yes, they are definitely the traditional stops to be used for brewing these styles. But even like other cities were like, oh, no, I want to buy these hops and hops are being exported to places like Bavaria. But um, so, of course, the earliest brewing was done in monasteries, like we know. Um, and it wasn't until around 1250 when Pope the Innocent, Pope Innocent IV, which I just think is a hilarious name, Jen just told me that a lot, it's very common Pope name, but I just think it's hilarious. Right. You yeah, better, it's, it's a you good, be I a wonder, good person. I wonder if it's like 
back in the day, like innocent was the same as like John, where like ever you're just like, oh, your yeah, name's yeah. innocent. My name's innocent too. Yeah. But, <laughs> but you better be a good person if your name is Pope Innocent. I just feel like, but uh, I don't know. This is, but it seems like he was because he ended a 250 year ban on brewing um, to happen other than monasteries. So over the next few decades, rights for breweries were granted to several cities around Czech. Um, and you got to remember, this is still a time when you have to be granted the right to brew. So you mm-hmm. can't just go brew like a home brewer does. Um, right. And this uh, is also when the, and we talked about this in one of our recent episodes also, that this is when this area, like there wasn't the Czech Republic, there wasn't even Czechoslovakia, it was Bohemia. Yes. And so like you had Bohemia that was very close to Bavaria. And so that's like just a, yeah. a note there that this is going to be, think of it more as Bohemia because that's kind of the area that it was back in the day. But now we know it as, as the Czech Republic. True. So this is, she's correct. The Bohemia and Bavaria were two big cities that were bringing beers back and forth from each other and learning on each other about different styles. So the earliest beers um, for, uh, were during that time were probably white beers. They were top fermenting beers brewed with wheat, kind of like a lot of common beers were. And historians believe that these beers were brought into Bavaria from Bohemia. And this started the base for the Hefeweizen style and wheat beer brewing. Uh, which makes sense. You know, I didn't dive too far into that to see if that was correct. But um, as centuries passed, brewing rights were awarded to families and cities. Um, but however, as wars and conflicts, different conflicts happened, many of the breweries were also destroyed. So you kind of see this boost in brewing, but a lot, with a lot of beer history, wars tend to kind of destroy a lot of what's going on and and take bring down a lot of the smaller breweries um so in the early 19th century transportation meant importation and exportation of beers so when bottom fermented beers began arriving in bohemia from germany this is around 1830 you know drinkers really start to fall in love with the you know bavarian beers and these beers were usually dark but crisp and refined tasting so these are the examples of like the, the dark lagers that were first being brewed because lager was this dark malted beer, not this light golden one. Um, and then even before the brewery in Pilsen began brewing its bottom fermented beer in 1842, which is Pilsner Kell. Pilsner Kell opened around that time. They started brewing log or their, their famous Pilsner Pilsner. Uh, there are still some breweries already doing that. So they weren't like, here we are, we are establishing the first Pilsner. That was still that was already happening, but they were definitely brought into industrial um, level. And one of the big differences was pil- with um, in Pilsen is that they were using their like they were using the English style malt can with indi- indirect heat to dry their malt, and this was resulting in a beer that was like crisp and clean, just like the Bavarian beers. But now we have a golden beer in color instead of being dark. Right. So one of the things, again, like in our favorite book, uh, the logger book, um, he has a really good history of, um, I think he calls them like the great grandfathers of logger. But one of them focuses specifically on Pilsen, which is in the Czech Republic. And Pilsen is where Pilsner, you know, that's where we get Pilsner. So 
one of the things he said that I really like is he described Pilsner as the local beer of the world, like Pilsner became the local beer of the world. So like Rachel said in Pilsen uh, at the time, certain houses were given brewing rights and those were passed down through families via inheritance. So if you had brewing rights, you got to make beer. If you didn't have brewing rights, you couldn't make beer and you had to buy it from the brewing citizens or the commercial breweries. So at this time in Pilsen, there were some commercial breweries. There were also some commercial or families that were able to brew and sell beer. So during the 18th century, citizen brewing stopped being allowed. And this is um, like what Rachel said, is we're starting to industrialize. It's not only was it, were there you know, more commercial breweries who were able to do it kind of at scale, but the risk of fire became a very big, uh, a very big concern. And this was similar to changes that happened in England around the same time, because if you think about all of these people, you know, coming into the cities, they're living very close together, but it's not like they had like fire codes or fireproofing. So you had a lot of people living very, very close together, you know, doing things like trying to brew with direct fire or trying to make malt with hay or um, straw more correctly. And uh, this was something that I talked about in my smoked beer presentation that I did for HomebrewCon where they, people knew that straw made a cleaner malt, but straw was also, I mean, it's straw, so it's much more flammable. And you, they ended up outlawing being able to use, to malt at home using straw because those fires got out of control very, 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 very quickly quicker than other types of fire. So the, the, just the risk of fire is yeah. one of the things that I think doesn't probably get talked about enough for <laughs> being Smart. like driving a lot of yeah. brewing and malting technology. Uh, but yeah, so that was in the 18th century. So then what happens is the local beer in Pilsen was produced in one of four community breweries or they also had three private breweries. And Bohemian beer gained a reputation for not being very good. Uh, well, like Rachel said, Bavarian beer was gaining a re reputation for being very good. And so what that meant was Bavarian beer started outselling Czech beer. Um, it was also cheaper. And the some innkeepers complained to the mayor about this, like, hey, nobody's drinking Czech beer. And I think, maybe in our our book club episode about the lager book rachel you read the quote about um somebody saying some like comparing czech beer to like a pig's arse and like how to <laughs> because it was like really really bad so um when the innkeepers complained to the mayor his response was that citizens should build a brewery because only wholesome and tasty beer would outsell bavarian beer so in 1838 we have the pilsen beer disaster which is the the story that I think a lot of people hear about, you know, kind of how Pilsner came into existence. And this was because the, uh, there were 36 barrels of beer that were decidedly unfit. Um, this was something that government officials could determine. And they determined that this beer, like all of the beer in the city was unfit. So they poured it into the streets. And this really galvanized the people who still had those citizen rights. So they couldn't brew in their homes, 
but they still had the rights to brew. So this really galvanized them to create a plan for building that one large citizen brewery that like the mayor said, you know, that's going to be the solution for you. If you want Czech beer to sell better than Bavarian beer, you know, build this brewery. So Joseph Grohl is the, the person, he was actually a Bavarian brewer uh, who was hired by the citizens brewery and he would come to be known as the inventor of Pilsner. And this is, this is something that he was the brewmaster at the time who created the beer, but it's, you know, like nobody gets to the top on their own, right? So there's, it's, he's kind of the, the person who's become like the figurehead for this is the creator of Pilsner, but like the brewery was already built. They already knew about the technology. They already knew this stuff. They just needed somebody to brew it mm-hmm. and not at all taking away from the fact that he was the first person to physically brew this beer, but it, you know, like it takes a village to, to create something oh, like yeah. this. Uh, so he was hired on a three-year contract and with the brewery and when his contract expired after three years he like reapplied for his job and he did not get it um they gave it to someone else and so he went back to his hometown that was located in the bavarian region um it really lived in relative obscurity until his death and um (laughs) even in the like in the logger book they talk a lot about like how ugly this dude was and it's like (laughs) how is that relevant? Like, it doesn't (laughs) matter. Um, But the other thing with the Citizens Brewery, which is still still in existence today, uh, is that a lot of their early history was lost. So a lot of these old breweries have like archives and even like Budweiser, you can get a job working at Anheuser-Busch as an archivist or as a historian or as a like research librarian because they have all of these logs they have all of this information and um pilsner or the citizens brewery is no like is no exception to that but they lost a lot of their early history because in the 19th century they ended up using a lot of those records to insulate the roof of the town hall um so like maybe they're still out there in the roof somewhere um (laughs) my dream is always to like discover things in walls or like when I was in uh high school my parents bought this farmhouse that was over 100 years old but they were the only they were only the second owners of the farmhouse Uh, so these you know they're all of this family history um including a cemetery a family cemetery in the front yard um that like you had to like mow around but the, you know, obviously the house is very old, it's over a hundred years old. And as we were like pulling down uh, wallpaper and stuff, it's the, the thing where back in the day and even some like lazy people now, rather than like pulling down the wallpaper would just wallpaper over it. Or, you know, they would use newspapers or magazines or something to provide insulation. And so pulling down like the wallpaper and stuff, we found like newspapers from like the forties and fifties that they had cool. used as insulation. Um, so that, that is very off topic, but that's just to say that maybe, maybe all of those records are still up there in that roof somewhere and people can find them. Um, and that is always a dream of mine to just like stumble upon that or, you know, we can like, break in. 
hundreds of thousands <laughs> of dollars um, in a bathroom wall in, in yeah. a church. Um, that like anything like that, I'm always just like, I it just really makes me want to start like busting open. Yeah, that's it. Let's just like, go around. Let's just go. <laughs> this is for history. It's for history. You can't right. erase the history. Right. I have to get to it. <laughs> so with Pilsner, some of the things, and Rachel touched on this a little bit that made Pilsner so unique is that the like the very first thing is the malting technique so like rachel said they used indirect fire and they created a very pale malt and the history isn't even actually sure if they intended to create a malt that pale um but they did and that is known as pilsner malt and the so they had the very very pale malt they had their check hops so that's going to be saws that they use for bittering and aroma um, when they built the brewery, they built it next to a water source that had very, very soft water, which is a key component of a, a Bohemian Pilsner or a Czech Pilsner. Um, that So when we say very soft, it doesn't have a lot of minerals in it. And this is and something it, we see a lot with all styles. Yes. Like yeah, they, exactly. Put together, they, they really are one of the formations of styles is based upon the water that they have to use. Right. And and that's something that Mark Dredge um, says in the Lager book is that the Citizens Brewery is elementally perfect, which I think is like such a good way to describe it because they grew the the really good um, Hana like Moravian barley. They grew really good Saz hops, and they had this very very soft water. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, like Rachel said, it's kind of like Burton on Trent. You know, like the, there are areas that the beer sale developed specifically or in large part because of the water profile and i can't remember if we've talked about that i think we've maybe talked about water when we're talking about like specific styles i think that would be an interesting thing it's really and i know we've talked about this talking about water chemistry is not exciting and it's i i, I don't know how it will translate into like an audio medium uh, so maybe we'll try to do an episode on water chemistry and maybe nobody will ever hear it just because I don't know how it would turn out. But it is interesting to talk about what that actually means with the, the different water profiles of different cities and how they, the styles developed. Anyway, the, they had very soft water. They located it specifically next to that water source and because of that soft water. And they also, it was also on sandstone. So it was really, really easy to dig their cellars, uh, which I think go for like nine kilometers or something wow. like they, they have a lot of cellars under the Citizens Brewery. And the other important part about this, the Pilsner that they created is that it was brewed using triple decoction. Um, you can go back to our mashing episode to learn more about what it, precisely that means. But the that beer, so it was first served on November 11th, 1942. That was Pilsner Urquell. And the recipe for Pilsner Urquell is said to have stayed the same since that first, like the recipe has never changed. Um, and they do still triple decoct it today. So Pilsner Urquell, um, Czech premium pale Pilsner, like that Pilsner Urquell is like Guinness. Like it, mm -hmm. the style exists because of Pilsner Urquell. And they still brew it the same way. So I think, I think that's super cool. And I do know a couple of like award-winning home brewers who win awards for their Czech Pilsners. And they also triple decoct. Like they're, they're like 
diehard triple decoction stands out there who say if you're trying to make a check lager you should be triple decocting sure and luckily one of the reasons that was such a big deal is under modified malt but which luckily today we can have a lot more modified malt so you can make a check lager with like a single infusion in case you're wondering you don't have to do right. the decoction but it's decoction whether it be you know single double triple it's very traditional in that style of brewing in that part of the world um I cannot do that at my brewery to get back on the history track. We were, we're still around 1842, uh, you know, while we're finished, you know, now this new beer style of beer, this Pilsner has been, um, produced and presented if you will, and everyone loves it. So there's a big change that's going on in, in check with the brewing and, uh, you know, according to an article in the New York times in 1876 noted that there was a quote unquote, complete revolution in breweries in the Czech, in the Czech uh, lands, or I guess we should say Bohemia area. So between 1860 and 1870, the number of Bohemian bottom fermented breweries rose from 135 to 831. That's a lot in 10 years. That's a lot. And that is more than there are today. Right. But, and uh, I, I, you know, even thinking through like a comparison, like 10 years ago in Charlotte, there were what, like three breweries and now oh, there's yeah. like 30 and people are like, oh, Charlotte's going to have too many breweries. And it's like, no, well, no. we could have in 10 years, we could have gone from 135 to 830. <laughs> yeah, so everyone just calm down. Right. <laughs> but, and if the breweries couldn't switch from brewing this, you know, top fermented to bottom fermented beers, they, they probably just closed. Um, so more than 260 top fermenting breweries actually shut down in Bohemia in the same period. So that really goes to show you how desired this golden pilsner beer was and still is all around the world really but and so in 1869 a change in the law allowed more breweries to be open um beyond those that owned by citizens with brewing rights like jen was mentioning before um and then the larger industrial breweries begin to appear the same time the refrigeration is beginning to replace ice you know industrial revolution starts to into into industrialize a lot of industries um including <laughs> i love that it's the true, industrialized though. the industrial revolution industrialized <laughs> industries it did though <laughs> i i mean i understood as that sounded as it came out but it's true i mean what else <laughs> that sound ridiculous so as we get into the 1900s a number of breweries consolidated, as, um, especially along smaller producers, which is not new. Well, I shouldn't say new. It's the same happens today, you know. But some brew pubs, <clears throat> sorry. Also, at this time, wheat beers have now completely disappeared from Czech breweries. Um, so some brew pubs and historic breweries managed to survive until World War II, but many more closed after the com uh, country's communist area, era begins in 1948. So any open breweries um, during that time, just due to constraints on different barley varieties or just different ingredients and um, typically just serve two beers, a pale lager and a dark lager. And this goes on for like 40 years. Like this is the culture of Czech. You don't have a, breweries are, are now being industrialized. During this time when we're in the communist era, this is when it's not it you know it's not bohemia it's not the czech republic it's czechoslovakia 
So that is now we have the Czech Republic and Slovakia as two different companies or companies, Jesus, <laughs> countries. But yes, yeah, so at this time we're talking about this same area is now known as Czechoslovakia. So this, like I said, so this was going on for over 40 years. Um, so one of the, even though this is a horrible situation, but one of the kind of interesting things that came out of it is that Czech brewers continued operating just as they had for a century more, like nothing changed. They maintained their old fashioned methods of brewing and malting. And these um, old techniques were largely disappeared everywhere else in Europe um, by the time the Velvet Revolution arrived in 1989. So, um, you know, during these, during this time, although it's rough, it's kind of cool that all that tradition maintained you know, like communism's cool. No, it's not. It's not. <laughs> but as a beer geek, it's cool that no, it didn't change for so long because although it is a different culture now in 2021, you could still go to Pilsner or Kell and see a lot of these traditions. Um, so, you know, so this was a rough time and breweries that the communists had originally created were privatized and sold off and stripped of assets and closed. So there's few breweries that did survive um, and they began to experiment with new types of beer as well as historical recipes that they were not allowed to produce under state control. Um, so the numbers of breweries reached a new low of about 60 in the early 21st century. So we just went from over 800 to 60 over well, 100 years or so, mm -hmm. I guess. That's, that's, I mean, we went from, in 10 years, we went from that small, that huge jump and then to lose all this. I mean, it's a big blow to check beer brewing in history. Um, same, you know, same for prohibition in you know, yeah, the United true. States and other places. True. The stories are similar in every beer style in, in countries you start to really realize. But so things started to pick up in around 2007. There's over a hundred breweries around that time. You see more variety of beers start to appear. Um, a lot of breweries are now being inspired by brewers in the US and the UK and small brew pubs start to regularly use top fermentation again. Um, wheat beer has returned to Bohemia as well. Um, so, you know, and since then, the country has had more, more than 400 breweries, probably, I guess, with the industrial breweries, like 580 or so mm -hmm. breweries right now. You touched on this a little bit, uh, just talking about the effect that you know communism and the Iron Curtain and everything had on uh, at the time, Czechoslovakia after 1989, it was the Czech Republic and Slovakia as two separate countries. Um, the If you're into economics and history, the book Beer, Beer Economics is um, one. It's one of my favorites. Uh, also, having been an, an economics major, I'm, also, I'm always going to geek out about um, anything economics related, but uh, they have a really good chapter in there that talks about what happened after the Velvet Revolution to the brewing industries because it, you know, throughout the industry, I mean, it's com it, it was communism. So there were like set minimums and like guaranteed um, payments, you know, whether you were overproducing or underproducing, you were getting this certain amount and that the beer industry is, and I'm sure there were several industries like this, but the beer industry was really 
it's interesting to look back on it now. It's not interesting when you're the barley grower who is suddenly like competing in a free market kind of thing. Um, but you know, it's not like, it's not just the finished product of beer, right? So it's the barley and the hops. Um, all of those like growers had their entire life been producing under communism and then were suddenly in the free market. Uh, so the, the, beer, the beeronomics book has a really good chapter that just goes into the all of the big industrial breweries coming into the Czech Republic and uh, just everybody trying to figure out how you know how to survive and and a lot of them a lot of those businesses didn't survive yeah and again very similar to the effect that prohibition had in the United States after prohibition the breweries that who had the means to stay open throughout prohibition were able to get bigger and acquire smaller companies and you know the whole market really uh, consolidated so that was a lot of history on on Czech loggers um, but it again you know when it's a huge part of your culture there's a lot of history there so let's talk a little bit about the the actual styles Yes. And we'll get started with the, if we're looking at the BJCP guidelines, the, the Czech loggers is section is a really good reminder that they, the, you know, the BJCP is one set of guidelines. If you listen, you know, you are our, our most, one of our more recent episodes was all about the guidelines and kind of where some of those shortcomings are. So it's important to remember that the something like the guidelines are coming into a culture and applying different rules and like categorizing it in a different way than the you know than the actual brewing culture does and we talked about this also with like belgian beers where like if Mm -hmm. you go to belgium they have like gold and brown and those are the beer styles and they you know they'll have different strengths and things like that but it's just a good reminder when we're looking at something like guidelines is this is how in the United States, a group of people is, you know, trying to categorize another culture's beer styles in a way that makes sense for that purpose. And I'm not saying that that's either good or bad, but it is important to remember um, because Czech loggers generally, and Rachel touched on this already, but they're generally divided by gravity class and color. So you'll have like draft, lager, special. You'll also have pale, amber, and dark. So the let's talk about our thoughts with the Czech pale lager and the Czech premium pale lager. Yes, please. One of the things I thought was interesting, and I'm referring when I say this, I'm referring to the presentation that was sent to us from CBC. Um, and this is coming from the you know, uh, Czech ambassador. Right? Who, who did you say it was from? The this was the, the Ministry of Agriculture. Ministry of Agriculture. I like, I like that. Ministry of Agriculture. Well, it says in the world, as you know, mainly America, beer equals lager, ales, IPA, and lager equals pale beer. In the Czech Republic, beer equals lager, and lager equals pale, dark, or amber. And I thought that was so interesting because it's so true. And when BJCP makes this distinction of pale and premium pale, I don't really see that being a thing in Czech beer and in my reading and my, you know, and what I obviously haven't been there, but 
it's like, okay, you have, a, you have a pale, you have a dark, you have an amber, you have it in this gravity, but maybe one brewery's pale is lower gravity than another brewery's pale and like lower hops and stuff like that. And maybe that's where that distinction came from according to BJCP. But right. that's, that's kind of what I think and reading it and seeing like, like you said, like reading through historically how Czech beers were brewed, they were usually, they would have like a 10 degree and a 12 or a 14 degree, and then like a 16 degree. And then like the 10 degree kind of fell out of favor, but like you could still brew a 10 degree and it would still be, it's still a pale beer. Like yeah. it's still kind of in the same class. So I wonder if that, if the Czech pale lager, Czech premium pale lager, if that's not where they were trying to make the distinction, because the when you look level. at the, yeah, we, or the gravity, when you look at like their commercial yeah. examples for the Czech pale lager, they give you all 10 degree examples. And so I, I just wonder if maybe that's where they were kind of trying to carve that out. But yeah. I, I think that there is an argument to be made that you can call it all Czech pale lager and somehow a, a very strong argument <laughs> because that's how the Czech Republic refers to it as that's, well. That's what I had kind of gathered. And just for our listeners reference, and I know you have it in front of you, I don't, but the, the BJCP categories categorizes the ABV, the alcohol by volume range for a premium pale, I'm sorry, for a pale to be lower than premium pale, pale being what three to 4.1%. Mm -hmm. And a premium pill being like 4.2 to 5.8 or something mm -hmm. like that. So that's the main difference. Right. And, a right. and so maybe that's, maybe that is where they're like this, the ABV range is, seems a little large for it. But then again, you've got something like Saison that is yeah, we're broken not down about into that. three different <laughs> strengths. So yeah, it, it's just an interesting, it's, you know, I, and we don't know what yeah. the, the impetus the for that yeah. was. But generally speaking, when we're talking about Czech lager, we're talking about pale, amber, and dark. And I I I love Pilsner Cal. I love a good Czech Pilsner. I fucking love Czech dark lagers. Um tamaves, they are one of my favorite styles. This again is just insight into my brain. Um, and what it's like to live inside my head all the time. But have you seen, uh, or do you remember uh, Fast and Furious, the first one? Uh, I mean, kind of. Seen that? Okay. Yeah, I've definitely seen it, but. The first and the Furious, uh, missed opportunity there. But, <laughs> and this is so, this is so stupid, but like we're in a safe space with this podcast. So I will share <laughs> this again. This is what it's like to be inside my head. Um, there is a scene in Fast and Furious with Ja Rule, where ja he is getting ready to <laughs> race. I think it's called racing. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like this beautiful woman says, like, if he, if he wins, he can have a threesome with her and her equally beautiful friend, right? And um, then, the, like, during the race, as he is losing or, like, realizes he's going to lose, um, and I will briefly say here, if you were not familiar, Ja Rule is an American rapper um, with a very distinctive voice, <laughs> but he realizes that he's going to lose and he yells out, menage, <laughs> but like in his Ja Rule voice. So just know 
something to know about me. Anytime I see the word tamave, <laughs> I say that in my head, like jaw rule. Tamave! <laughs> tamave! <laughs> so yeah, that's just a... That's a good a story. fun fact to know about me that that's every time I see that word. Is it memory so it in interesting? Head. Yeah. <laughs> that's how I read it. Because of in my head. <laughs> Right. Um, but yeah, so, you know, talking about, uh, about these, you know, with the, the Czech language, the, uh, the Beer Bible is one of those books that I have not read. Like, I, I just haven't read it and I feel like I should um but one of the things that they do and that I shouldn't say they one of the things that Jeff Allworth does in the beer bible which is the main thing that I always reference is he has this really fantastic little like one page on pronunciations of Czech mm. beer names and reading that has also helped me under like understand what it is you know when you're seeing something in a different language but um Svetla is pale and this also like reading through this really helped me remember the commercial examples from the BJCP for it because when you look at it again not being a Czech speaker and yeah. in the American language we don't have accents you know over our letters um, and so that's not something that like I can look at and immediately my brain recognizes like, oh, when it's, you know, when it has an umlaut, this is how it's pronounced. So this was really good learning these words and then like then seeing uh, the examples and being like, oh, okay. So this is just, this says like pilot dark lager uh -huh. kind of thing, you know? So um, Svetla is pale colored, Tamave is dark. Um, one of my favorite ones is the polotomave, which is semi-dark. It, it like it translates to half dark, and that is an amber. That's your amber mm -hmm. water. So they do not have a word for amber. Well, their word for amber it's is polotomave. Yeah, exactly. That is um, fun to say. Yeah. Polotomave. <laughs> <laughs> and then you may also see churna, which is black. Um, but yeah, so those are just some really quick pronunciations. Um, and pivo is the word for pivo. beer. Yep, pivo is the word for beer. And, and I, um, lager, Lejac is Lejac. lager. Lejac. Lejac is, yeah, is lager. And um, yeah, so those are just some of the, the pronunciations. But also, like, when you see them, it really helps because it is like, oh, these aren't, like, really exotic or complicated names. This is literally saying this is a dark locker and it's like oh okay got it <laughs> um but yeah one of the things that i want to do when i go to the czech republic is go to uflek which is um i believe it's actually a hotel with a bar but they make tamave they only make tamave oh cool and it's supposed to be the best tamave in the world um, so that's, that's definitely like on the list of places to go to. We actually need to like revisit our slow pour episode because I've since learned that it's not slow pour isn't correct as correct as side pour. Mm. Um, because when you look at like Czech bartenders or people with like side pour faucets who are serving Czech lager in the traditional way, like it is not slow. It is yeah. very, very fast that they fill it up. And we won't dive too deep into it, but I will say 
they uh, last year the Cicerone program on their YouTube channel did an interview with Evan Rail, and Evan Rail is a journalist who lives in the Czech Republic, and actually has a book about Czech beer that I am adding to my bookshop.org list. If anybody ever wants to buy me a book, you can just go to bookshop bookshop.org. <laughs> and look at my page and look at my wish list. Um, but I'm definitely going to be adding this book to it. But uh, he did an entire like hour long talk on side pole faucets and the different kinds of pores that Rachel, I know we had talked about in like one of our very first, like I think like maybe episode four. Yeah, I watched that. It's And it's yeah. really, really good. It was good. And like, he's extremely knowledgeable and had like tons of videos and like demos on how like all the different pores and how they're done but the the one of the things that actually inspired me during the the cbc talk was them talking about the importance of foam in czech lager and how you know and just made me think of how much of a role foam plays across mm -hmm. different beer cultures because uh, you know like in the uk um, if something's cask ale, like depending on where you live, you may or may not want it poured with a sparkler, which would create a little bit of a head on it. Mm -hmm. And I think I've said on here before, like I, I was in a conversation with two friends who are from those different areas of the UK and the like conversation between whether or not sparklers should be used, like heated up way quicker <laughs> than I would have expected where finally I was like you two are friends you need to stop this now like we, you cannot fight each other over this um uh, but yeah like it got like heated way fast but um <laughs> the you know the role that foam plays across beer styles it's just is super interesting. Yeah. So stay tuned. I'm actually working on um, some research about that, but I would highly recommend that you watch that side pole faucet episode or not episode, but interview with Evan Rail to learn more about it. But the, you know, Czech brewers or Czech beer drinkers expect a like a very full collar of foam and it's wet foam. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's there's a you know there's a difference between the way they're pouring the beer and the way that the foam is created that is adding to the overall experience where i think especially if you're located in the united states like you don't have you're used to like high carbonation on something like a bud light but it doesn't have like this huge head that lasts a long time or you know you don't like you're not used to having a lot of foam on on different beer styles and I know when I've trained people on how to pour beer, I've had to say, okay, like this style should have like two fingers of foam. Mm -hmm. This one should, you know, should have like this much. Um, but yeah, so I won't, I won't get all excited about foam right now, but the uh, foam plays a very, very important role in Czech beer service. Yes, it's true. And so, as we dive and if you want to know more about that, you can listen to our slow pour episode that we probably need to rename side pour. Right. Yes. And that also features an interview with um, Ashley from right. your stop Lager House. So uh, I think that is that was a very comprehensive history on Czech loggers and Rachel can attest that like I texted her the other day and was like, I am so fucking hyped about this episode. <laughs> I've just been reading about Czech beers 
and I was super excited about it, like leaving that that presentation and being yeah. like, I'm going to the Czech Republic. I'm going to go to all of these places. I'm going to have all of the beers. And I have you ever poured a beer off of a side pour? No, neither have I. And I like after, especially after watching that interview with Evan, I really, really want somebody to teach me how to do that. Yeah. Um, how to do it properly, because they also have like competitions and stuff for like brewers being able to or not brewers but bartenders being able to pour that's hilarious yeah and like maybe we you, can like talk someone into letting us pour their side pour at in czech republic yeah like make a tour of pilsner account and be like and also can we pull can also we pull can we side pour? waste a whole bunch of beer while we try to figure this out um yeah but also there, like, there are several places in the United States that has, that have like good service um, when it comes to side pours. And I know you've got a couple there in Charlotte too. I don't, I, think, I, I can't attest yeah. to what their services, but I know that there are a couple, but places like Notch Brewing, Cohesion, um, Wild Provisions is um, also in Denver. They have really good, and I'm, I'm sure that there are, are a ton of places where you can go and get like that yeah, as authentic as a Czech lager service as you can get, not in the Czech Republic. I think Divine Barrel has one yeah. here in Charlotte. I don't know how often they use it, but I know they've done right. it before. Cool. Well, thank you everyone for listening. And uh, we hope that your new year has started off well. And I hope that you are just as hype over Czech loggers as I am. Send me all of your Czech logger pictures, uh, particularly when they have like the really good uh, color foam on them. I want to see them. And you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at False Bottom Girls. You can reach out to us, falsebottomgirls at gmail.com. And you can go to our website, falsebottomgirls.com to see all of our past episodes you can also see all of the other information that we have on there and please once again make it a new year's resolution although by the time this this episode comes out the new year will be like will be like most of the way through january uh one new year's resolution you can keep when you've already abandoned all the other ones because now it's the middle of january <laughs> please give us a review give us a rating uh, subscribe wherever you find your podcast, but the review and the rating does a great job for other people to learn about our podcast. So with that, we can wrap this up. Thank you. Check you later. Log, 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 This has been False Bottom Girls. And we make the Bruin world go round. <laughs> <laughs>